0: hey, we're glad you're here. Man, what a cool deal. It's cool seeing this room begin to fill up slowly. Just uh, each week is a little different and um, maybe moving in the direction of something that's somewhat normal. I'm not sure that we'll ever see something we used to call normal for a long time. But normal may be overrated, so we'll just roll with that. And um, something cool about being off balance that forces you to draw on the Lord. You have to connect to resources that you've never connected to. You have to ask things that you never asked. Um, you have to extend mercies toward one another that you would have never had to extend and considerations toward one another that you might not have ever considered. So um, it's an unusual season, but it's a season that we have a chance to be stretched, um, challenged. Um, in those sorts of seasons, you have a chance to be especially aromatic, especially salty. Uh, so. I, and I know the current term for salty is like angry. I think Daniel reminded me of that the other day. He said, "I'm salty about something." And I said, "Okay, well, good, but it, it doesn't mean that in my in my use. So it means uh, being a faithful witness in our in our context. So we're gonna uh, begin our morning or continue our morning in prayer. Uh, we're gonna pray for a local church. We do that each week. Uh, lots of challenges for our local churches. Uh, you can imagine what we're going through. We have no overhead other than the salaries that we pay and a few building upkeep things. The Lord's blessed us. Some of the churches that have just recently built or that have significant debt um, that could have never seen this coming, uh, I'm sure are stretched and challenged right now. So that's a. I think we can lift up our fellow churches, our brothers and sisters in our community, and ask the Lord to provide for them. Uh, we can also ask that the Lord would. Um, Populate our church gatherings again. I mean, that's that's something that we do. That's part and parcel to being the people of God as we gather. So we can pray for our brothers and sisters uh, locally, uh, churches that that they that the Lord will begin to fill those spaces again, uh, in time. And uh, we're going to pray specifically for Ridgecrest Baptist Church. We pray I, surgically each week for another church. We pray for Ridge, Ridgecrest Baptist church, Baptist church and Matt Beasley and his family, and for the leadership at Ridgecrest. We're also going to pray for a people group, a people group of 15.5 million people, 0.01% of which are believers, Christians. So uh, it's the Kumhar people of India. And um, we're going to pray that the Lord will bless our time together. So we're going to climb into the Word. We're going to have a gospel, I mean, a gospel centered morning. It is like the, the the marrow of the gospel. So I'm pretty excited about it. Let's pray. Lord, we are thankful that we have the chance to gather this morning. I'm thankful. We are thankful for technology, for those that are not able to gather this morning, that they can still connect. And Lord, we pray that you would bind us together through the Spirit this morning, even though we may not be together in person. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would speak to us uh, and just equip us, uh, galvanize us, ready us, uh, mobilize us, inspire us, stir us, uh, all the things that we need. Uh, to be your faithful people in this community, in this world. Uh, We want to pray for a a local church this morning. Uh, Lord, we want to pray for Ridgecrest Baptist Church, for Matt Beasley. Uh, We just want to lift up Matt and his family first uh, in this season, as he and his family, I'm sure, are trying to make decisions about school, uh, on just regular life problems and life issues. On top of that, how to chart the course uh, for a church along with the other uh, leadership of Ridgecrest in a strange season. We want to lift up the, the leadership of Ridgecrest Baptist Church and ask you to bless them, Lord, uh, as families, as individuals that are worshiping, uh, but then also as leadership for the saints at Ridgecrest. We want to ask you, Lord, to bless Ridgecrest. Uh, just populate their spaces again with uh, incarnate uh, worship and gatherings and and all the things that we all enjoy as being the people of God and, and just uh, keep them well, Lord, we pray for that, that, that as they gather, that you would protect them, that the, the measures and precautions that they take, or that they uh, exercise, uh, that you would use those to keep them from, from anyone from getting sick. Uh, we just pray for our brothers and sisters at Ridgecrest, and we're thankful for the shared ministry that we have in this community. Lord, we pray that you would uh, equip them this morning as they gather, likely right now, uh, and hear from you um, through the preaching of the word in the next few minutes. Uh, Lord, also we want to pray for our people group this morning, for the Kumhar people of India, Uh, 15.5 million people that you know by name, that you know their days, uh, you've numbered them, uh, you know uh, the fears that they face, the trials, the challenges, uh, everything that's going on in this 15.5 million people. Lord, we ask you to break in, uh, that the kingdom of God would break into their hearts that the reign and rule of our good God would break into their hearts through your work, through the Holy Spirit. And that that would be coupled with people that are going to the far corners of the field to sow, um, to sow the good seed of the kingdom, to worship out loud uh, as men, of, men and women of sincerity to speak in Christ in that context. And Lord, that you would use, that, uh, sender, the, use the scent to connect to those that you are drawing into your, your people. Lord, we ask you that you would uh, make folks here, um, uh, that you would mobilize folks uh, who are here, that they just couldn't stay, that they would have to go. Uh, Just entrusting this people group to you and asking you to do something awesome. pray for those workers that may be on the field there right now, that even right now as we are lifting them up from Greenville, Texas, that you could, if if it's an off hour right now, if they're asleep and they wake, that they wake uh, with a sense of... um, courage and confidence that the brothers and sisters on the other side of the world are lifting them up. uh, They'll be faithful to do what you sent them to do. Lord, we pray that you would bless our time in these next few minutes. What a wonderful, wonderful few minutes we have in store. I'm so thankful uh, for the forgiveness that we have in Christ. I pray that that would be front and center in these next few minutes. I'm praying these things in Christ's precious name. Amen. In September of 2018, you may have recalled the news in our community. is right here in Dallas. An off-duty police officer, Amber Geiger, was coming home. Um, I, I haven't really read enough or done enough research to know if she was distracted or fatigued or a combination of the two. She lived on the fourth story or the fourth floor of an apartment building, and she only climbed three floors walked into what she thought was her apartment with the door cracked open, thought she was walking into a home intruder in, in her apartment. She was actually walking into Botham Jean's apartment. Botham Jean is a, uh, was a, a black man that's sitting there eating a bowl of ice cream, vanilla. She shot him, and I think he died shortly thereafter. Uh, that was in September of 2018. What I'm about to show you uh, took place in October of 2019. So I'd like for you if you would just sit back and watch this video for the next few minutes. Man, I cannot watch that without being just devastated. It's such a tragic story. Uh, The demand placed on our police uh, officers, um, again, I don't know um, her specific circumstances as she walked into the wrong apartment. But, man, I know that we expect a lot of our um, police officers, and uh, I could imagine how easily that could happen. I've pulled up to the wrong house before, thinking it was my house. <laughs> I mean, have anybody in this room ever had anything like like that happen? You can imagine the tragedy, um, hopefully you can climb into the tragedy of this event, but then the the beautiful, beautiful medicine of forgiveness that we just witnessed from the younger brother Brandt. Uh The word that comes to mind for me is he lavishes lavishes forgiveness and it is beautiful one of the things that really struck me too that I think we can consider this morning is we can consider that Amber Geiger still going to jail okay she's still going to jail at that point this was medicine for her it was not only medicine for us to watch um, I'm sure it was not easy for Brant. You see, image like adjusting, like you just see that it was not easy to extend that kind of forgiveness. But it was medicine for Amber. Even on her way to jail, it was beautiful medicine. Y'all stand with me if you would, and let's climb into Matthew chapter six. We're going to look to God's word on this good medicine, and Jesus is teaching on prayer. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Let's pray. Lord, speak to us from this passage. Give us uh, the um, help that we need, the insight that we need. Beyond that, Lord, don't just give us information. Soften and change our hearts to see not only the forgiveness that we have in Christ but the wonderful forgiveness that we have to give to, uh, to others. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Y'all can be seated. This is the fifth of six petitions in the Lord's Prayer. This was supposed to be, the Lord's Prayer was going to be a two-Sunday investment for us. <laughs> and uh, here we are on our 11th, 11th Sunday. Uh, we have one more after this. Uh, but this is the fifth petition of six of them. Um on a guide, really in many ways, a guide for how to pray. Our Lord is teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, right in the middle of a sermon about how to find the good life and how to walk out the good life, is this teaching on prayer with six petitions. There's some structure to this fifth petition that I'd like to acquaint you with because it's going to be our guide for the morning. The teaching takes place, it's just four words in verse 12 part a just kind of the first part of verse 12 okay that's the petition okay that's what he's teaching us to pray right after that the second part of verse 12 is the comparison that he brings up and we're going to spend time on the petition and the comparison and then we're going to spend some time on what he does in verse 14 and 15 a two-verse explanation okay so that's sort of the map for the morning if you'd like a a little audio map Uh, That'll give you a kind of an idea of where we're going in these next few minutes. We're going to consider the petition, first part of verse 12, the comparison, the second part of verse 12, and then the explanation in verses 14 and 15. Okay. First, I'd like to make a few observations. We're just going to kind of look bird's eye view at a few observations from this passage, and then we're going to climb into those three things. First of all, this is the only petition with an explanation. They have all six petitions. This is the only one that gets extra airtime. And couple that with the rest of Matthew and our Lord in the Gospels gives lots of airtime to the topic of forgiveness. So before we ever even move forward in what we're going to consider this morning, hopefully we can appreciate the gravity of where we're standing in these next few minutes. This is a very important petition among six very important ones. This one is especially so. It gets extra treatment, extra explanation in verses 14 and 15. Something else that I think we can bring out just from observation, basic bird's eye view observation. In the fourth petition, we are to ask for daily bread. Okay, Jesus is teaching us to pray daily for daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. Emphasis on daily. Something that occurred to me in preparation last week and has spilled over into sort of a a landscape perspective on all of these six requests is the realization that all of these things are to be prayed for daily. This is a teaching on daily prayer and the content of daily prayer. This request for daily bread is just an escort into the notion that we are to pine daily for the hallowing of his name. In spaces and in circumstances and in places where his name is not considered holy. We are to pine for holy, holy, holy is the name, is is our our Lord God Almighty who was and is and and is to come. We are to pine for that to take place in our workspaces, in our homes, in our family, in our lives. Daily. Daily we're to hope for his kingdom to come and break in. For the rule of God to take place in the hearts of men daily. That's a daily pursuit. Daily, we're to hope that his will is done here as we know it's done in heaven. Daily, we're to ask for daily bread. And then daily, we are to ask for forgiveness from our Father. I will to let that just sit on you for a moment. This is not rocket surgery. We're going to keep it very simple. And I said that on purpose. Okay, you're like, wait a minute. Daily, we are to ask our Father for forgiveness. Forgiveness. So part of the daily life for a follower of Christ, just from the observation phase here, is the realization that we're to have a consciousness and an awareness and a recognition and confession of our daily transgressions. Man, let's just start right there. If you need some application points right there early, something you can jot down, what am I supposed to do on Tuesday or Thursday? What am I supposed to do in response to this sermon? Start right there. A daily consciousness, awareness, recognition, and confession of your daily sins against God and confessing those to him. That is part and parcel, apparently, to a meaningful relationship with our Heavenly Father. Okay, let's not take anything as a given. Let's consider that and embrace that. Part and parcel to a meaningful relationship with our Father in heaven, and we could say central to finding the good life, ironically. (laughs) A mindfulness of our sin. Secondly, that's in the vertical trajectory. Secondly, just considering this daily comment from, from the fourth petition, imported into the fifth, There's a daily recognition, accounting and reconciling with others. Okay, We're talking with our Heavenly Father. But it's assumed in the second part of verse 12 there that we're also doing this with one another. A daily recognition of our sins toward God and a daily recognition, accounting and reconciling with others. It's assumed in this teaching in prayer. Just this mention alone suggests that daily transgressions, daily events where you say, hey, this kind of bothered me. Can we talk about this? Daily events where the other person says, oh, man, I'm so sorry. Will you forgive me? That, those are the types of things that should happen often so they would potentially sap- saturate daily life together. I don't know what in the world we're expecting in marriage, in relationships, in friendships, and in churches. If we want to find a relationship or a church or a marriage or anything, a friendship, that doesn't involve saying frequently, man, I'm really sorry. I really missed this. Please forgive me. And then on the other end, of course I forgive you. Come here. Let's hug it out. It's apparently part of daily life. This recognition and confession confession to our Heavenly Father but a recognition and daily accounting with one another. I don't know why in the world we expect lives without it. I don't know why in the world we want to run from any relationship that might involve it. I don't know why we'd be so averse to saying the words, I'm sorry. Remember Fonzie? Fonzie couldn't say it. I'm sorry. Some of y'all don't even know who Fonzie is. Most of y'all that know Fonzie and Happy Days. <laughs> happy Days? Wasn't it Happy Days? He couldn't say it. I'm sorry. Man, you can say it. You can say it, and you can say it often, and you can still be part of a really awesome relationship, an awesome friendship, an awesome marriage, an awesome church where you hear the words and you say the words often. Man, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. Let's hug it out. Okay? That's just observation. We had not even really gotten into it now. So let's get into it. Petition, comparison. And then the explanation. So first, the petition. These four words, forgive us our debts. Let's spend a moment considering that. Forgive in ancient financial terms, which would also be current financial terms, would mean releasing the debtor from the obligation to pay. If you had a debt and you got a letter that said, hey, we're forgiving your debt, that's what it means. You don't have to pay. You're like, man, gravy, that's really good news. In the moral sense, it means a pardon. Okay, it's a great word. In the moral sense, it means a pardon. It's releasing the sinner from the consequences deserved or the payment owed by his or her actions. That's a really nice word, isn't it? Pardon. I was reading about an ancient rabbi. His name is Rabbi Akiba. He was in the first century. So he's probably a contemporary or just after a contemporary of Paul. Paul studying in the, the school of Gamaliel, this guy, Rabbi Akaba, uh, some places you see his name spelt with a V, Akiva. he actually taught that there was a big ledger, that God had this big massive ledger that he wrote down everything that you'd ever done wrong and wrote down everything you'd ever done right. And Rabbi Akaba taught the people of God in first century AD that you better hope that you had more good stuff than bad stuff. That when the day of reckoning and judgment came, you better hope that you were in the black and not in the red. Man, can you see that ominous ledger? Just imagine an ominous scale where you're hoping that your good things outweigh your bad things. That's what this rabbi taught. Now, take that ledger mindset, that ledger imagery and that scale imagery, and connect it to this request. This request, which is apparently a daily request, asking our Father in heaven to pardon us for our sins daily, is a request to keep the ledger balanced. But if you know yourself at all, you know that even the good things you do often have some measure of selfishness in them. Even the good things that you do, often you do because they make you feel better. Even the good things that we do are contaminated by sin. So this scale, we ought to look at it and quake. We ought to look at that, or imagine that notion of a ledger and tremble. So for those of us who are in Christ, we're actually praying this prayer, this request to keep the ledger balanced by appealing to the consequence-paying work of Christ to cover past, present, and future sins. Amen. And y'all can say amen behind masks. You totally can. <laughs> I've noticed since everybody wears masks, everybody's like, can't speak. Yes, you can. You need to say amen after that. Let me share a passage with you. And this will be a passage we come back to later on in the morning. You can just listen to it because you will land there in the supper. It's Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. And you, this was a guy who apparently did not follow this ledger thought, ironically. A first century Jew converted to Christianity. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. By canceling the record of debt, here pardon, that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Man, here's the beautiful part of this little petition right off the bat, something that we can consider is that this is a daily venture for us to pray out the gospel. It is being taught to us by the one who won it for us, by the one who paid that price for us. So maybe take that ledger imagery and envision that ledger being covered with the blood of Christ in regards to your past, present, and future sins. Man, that's a beautiful image, isn't it? Maybe imagine that big scale where the good things are supposed to outweigh the bad things and recognize the bad things that you have done being covered by and weighted by or unweighted by. Maybe that's the term we use, by the blood of Christ. Man, he paid our debt. He won our pardon being nailed to the cross. What would this do alone if we were praying this prayer every single day with that kind of thought? What would this do alone to our gospel mindedness? If we were praying daily like this, what would this do to our conversations and our reactions and our filters on life circumstances? How would this condition? I mean, let's dream together, let's imagine together how this might change a people and shape a people, how it might change a family. To be praying this daily in this gospel-centered prayer. What would this do to bad news? Right? What would this do to a guy like Brandt uh, who, who lost his, his brother? Okay, it changes, reframes bad news. So that as terrible as that news was, it was put into a different context in view of his being forgiven through the work of Christ. This would change and does change everything. What would this do to besetting sins? Man, this would change our notion and our view on besetting sins to be praying this gospel-centered, gospel-saturating prayer every single day, reminding us daily of the victory that we already have in Christ. What would this do to our prayer life if we're praying daily regarding our impatience with our family? Men in this room? Are any of you not impatient from time to time? Are you ever, There's a couple of you that may not be. Some of you are. Most of you are. <laughs> a couple of y'all that are just super long-suffering and gentle. And, but most of us have a little bit of edge to us. And what would this do to your prayer life to recognize those transgressions daily and to make a daily beeline to the cross? What would that do to your movement as a shepherd in the home to confess that impatience, and bring it to the Lord. To confess pride daily and bring it to the Lord, what would it do to confess selfishness, to confess gossip? What would it do to the gossip? To bring that to him daily, and then to make a beeline to that blood that was shed for us that covers that sin. It would change everything. What would it do to gluttony? What would it do to materialism? What would that do to lust? Praying about that every day single day this petition in 12a is wonderful and welcome amen Amen. yes thank you it is the essence of the gospel forgive us our debts now let's look at the comparison the comparison is the second part of verse 12 as we also have forgiven our debtors forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors 12a is welcome 12b not so much we're gonna be really honest in these next few minutes 12a is welcome there's not a person in this room is not like yes thank you jesus thank you jesus for forgiving us our sins but 12b did you read actually appreciate what it says there forgive our debts as we have forgiven our debtors is that the measure Wait a second, I'm a little unnerved by that idea. I hope that you are. This is alarming, hopefully, to anyone wearing the same flesh that I wear. How many times have you withheld forgiveness? Is anybody in this room withholding forgiveness right now? From a family member, a friend, a workmate? You're like, well, they hadn't asked for it. I'm asking right now, right now. Is anyone in this room withholding forgiveness? Remember what we're, we're talking about praying here. Forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. And you sit here right now withholding forgiveness. I hope you're sort of concerned about that development on the second part of verse 12 along with me. How many times have you withheld forgiveness? How many times have you taken forever to get to the point of forgiveness? What if the Lord did that with us? The transgressions that you um, that you have today, you bring those to the Lord, it's like, I'm just not ready. I'm not ready, uh, Lane. Listen, I, I appreciate what you're bringing to me. I know you're earnest and all, but I'm just not ready to forgive you. Visit with me in a month or so, a couple months maybe. Maybe a couple years I get to the point where I can forgive you. How often do we withhold forgiveness? How often do we take forever to forgive? How often do we find that time shows us that we never forgave someone in the first place? Right? We just called it something else, but it wasn't truly forgiveness because you despise them. Man, I appreciated that Brandt said, I want what's best for you. That sounded like whole and thorough forgiveness. I want good things for you. How many times have you forgiven somebody, but you hope they get hit by a car? (laughs) Okay, I forgive you, but you hope bad things happen to them. Is there anyone else in the room that's wearing the same flesh that I am that's going, wait a second. If our movement in those ways is the measure by which he forgives us, I'm in trouble. Man, that's alarming. I hope that you're sitting here with me, alarmed. How often do we carry bad feelings toward others who've wronged us? Okay, can you just make it just simple like that? How often do we carry bad feelings toward others who have wronged us? How often do we fumble forgiveness? Anybody in this room? Can all of us hopefully connect to that concept and that realization? My thought is, Lord, please don't let us be the measure for your forgiveness toward us. Well, there's some good news here. He actually uses the word here where he says, um, forgive, uh, 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 forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. This as word there in the original language is actually the least uh, specific of his choices, words that he used in other places that are much more specific. He did not use that word or those words. In this case, he in that case it would have read like this: "Forgive us our debts in the measure that we have forgiven our debtors." That'd be frightening, wouldn't it? "Forgive us our debts in the measure that we have forgiven our debtors." That's not what it says. It also doesn't say "forgive us our debts just like we have forgiven our debtors." It doesn't say that either. His choice of words as was wonderfully and gracefully imprecise. Wonderfully and gracefully imprecise. Thank goodness we're not the measure and model for forgiveness. Okay? I'm not going to let you completely off the hook, though. Because he doesn't let us completely off the hook. (laughs) Actually, we are, those sons and daughters of the high king of heaven, of the father that we pray to. And as he moves, so we move. Here on the Sermon on the Mount, just earlier in the sermon, across the page, if you want to turn there, I'll show you a couple of examples. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 7, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. There's a connection there to the mercy of God and the mercy that we experience. The mercy we move in and the mercy that we receive from the Lord. Look um, across the page at the end of chapter 5 and verse 43. Here's another example, another contrast there where we are moving as our Father moves. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. We're not completely let off the hook because we're sons of the high king of heaven and daughters of the high king of heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. The thought here, the recognition here, is that we are to move as our Father moves. We are to reflect His character as He has forgiven others and forgiven us. We are to forgive others. It's assumed in this basic prayer. That's what is alarming for me. It is assumed in this basic prayer. You don't have an option not to forgive. I'm going to say it right now to everybody in this room. When I do that little diagnostic, are you withholding forgiveness? Are you dragging your feet on forgiveness? Do you have bad feelings toward one another, toward other people, even if they haven't asked for forgiveness yet? You, as a son and daughter of the high king, in, high king of heaven, do not have an option not to forgive. It's who you are. It's who you are. Even if the person who wronged you, this is what's hard for me. Even if the person who wronged you doesn't ask for it or even recognize they've sinned against you. That's when it's really hard, isn't it? That's when, like, this is truly an impossible task. Jesus said it from the cross. He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. The deacon Stephen's last words, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. We do not have an option to withhold forgiveness. Do you think the Lord only forgives you of the sins that you recognize and confess? Let's hope not. Because there's plenty of stuff that we do that we don't even know we did. Not forgiving others, I read, is like eating rat poison and waiting for the other person to die. You ever heard that quote? Not forgiving others is like eating rat poison and waiting for the other person to die. Apart from the fact that it'll eat you alive from the inside out and it'll do grave damage to your mental health and pursuit of the good life, it's not walking in the gospel that won you. To withhold forgiveness from another is not walking in the gospel that won you. The gospel that you're bathing in. It's assumed because it's just who we are. All right, that's the petition, and that's the comparison. Now for the explanation. Verses 14 and 15, you can go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 18, and I'm going to reread verses 14 and 15, and we're just going to look at a parable. We're going to end our morning with a parable from our Lord. Verses 14 and 15 of the prayer say this. Bring it in, verse 12 again. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Okay? If you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. We're going to look at just a parable from our Lord in chapter 18, which is a chapter dealing with problems between people, brothers and sisters, and brothers and sisters in Christ, ironically. Okay, for those of you that struggle with the thought of having conflict with folks in church, this is medicine. This is a chapter that's written for you. Okay? And you can see a heading right there, mid-chapter, if your brother sins against you, you tell it to the church. You know, that whole, all those old steps there in the church discipline process. But we're moving down to the parable of the unforgiving servant. Peter came up and said to the Lord, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. I'm going to break that down for you here here in just a moment. I'll go ahead and tell you what it is right now. A talent is 20 years wage. i was kinda of doing some calculating in my head. 20 years wage, you know, let's just make it uniform. Now, some of you aren't making this money and some of you are making well beyond this money. $50,000 a year, just for figuring sake. Okay, let's say it's $50,000 a year. 20 times $50,000 a year equals, some of you math wizards know that, equals a million dollars. Okay, so 10,000 times a million, which is not, it's more than a billion, but not quite a trillion. It's like 10 billion. Okay, it's a lot. And if I'm wrong about that, if there's an engineer in here at L3 and you're like, got your calculator out, you can correct me afterward. And, but you get the point. It, it's a kajillion. It might as well be a kajillion. It's, it's more than any of us can imagine. Okay, $10 billion. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. So we've got this ridiculous, impossible debt. Okay, this, this is an extreme uh, example, a parable. I mean, it's, it's told for the sake of teaching uh, a valuable truth. Okay, so it's a profound debt here and something that would be almost unimaginable. It is unimaginable for us, $10 billion dollars. Okay? If we're to connect this thought, okay, just the image that we've considered so far, with this thought on teaching on prayer that daily we are to pray, forgive us our debts, then let's just already consider the fact that daily, when we pray this prayer daily as followers of Christ, we are connecting to a sizable debt. We are remembering as the saints every single day when we go to the Lord in prayer an astronomical value. We are looking absolutely daily at this debt that is absolutely beyond anything that we could ever repay. Every single day we're connecting to that debt, connecting also to a king who forgave and forgives relentlessly. Man, right already, we've got to appreciate that that kind of prayer daily is going to be a good thing to remind you of the unbelievable debt that has already been forgiven us. Even our forgiveness of others can be selfish. You've got to recognize that. Even the good things we do are conditioned by pride and selfishness and all manner of things. Even on our best day, the debt is astronomical and one that we can never repay. All right, let's go back to our parable and see where this, this thing goes. Continuing in verse 28. But when that same servant, slave number one, went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii. 100 denarii is um, a third of a year's wage, 100 days' wage. Okay. So if we're going to go with that same value, $50,000, we're talking about $17,000. Okay, can I just go ahead and interject something right here? Some of you have had some grievous things done to you. Lots of us have had bad things really happen to you. I I know stories in this room of the horrific things that have been done to some of you. And I'll just tell you right now, this parable at least acknowledges that. $17,000 is nothing to sneeze at. For someone who earns $50,000 a year, if someone owed you $17,000, that's nothing to sneeze at, right? Right? We're not talking five bucks. We're not talking ten bucks. Our good Lord seems to acknowledge here that we have experienced grievous harm. $17,000 is significant. That's good money right up in there. So for this guy to be hacked about $17,000 without the first part of the story, you can totally get it, right? $17,000, nothing to sneeze at, buddy. You owe me the money. So let's connect to that thought. When the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him $17,000. And seizing him, he began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience on me, I will pay. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay his debt. If you didn't have the first part of the story, you can get it. If some of us are withholding forgiveness in this room, but we didn't have the first part of our story... You could almost get it, couldn't you? Man, do you know what happened to me when I was a kid? Man, let me tell you what my parents did. Horrific stuff. Some of you had her- horrific stuff done to you as a friend, as an employee, as a spouse. I'm acknowledging that. Our Lord acknowledged that, I think, with a $17,000 value, a third of a year's wage. But we have a first part of our story, don't we? We're not living in just the second part of our story with the rest of the world that wants to get even. We're living with this whole first part of the story where the king has forgiven our astronomical debt and we're connecting that every single day, right? Praying every single day. Conditioning us then to put that $17,000 debt in perspective. Reframing it every single day for those transgressions that are done against us. Man, that changes everything we know the heartbreak of this first slave and the the lack of forgiveness of debt lack of pardon extended to the second slave and that's us if we aren't forgiving others now look what that says to the world around us when his fellow servants saw what had taken place they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place can you just consider for a moment the effect that what it has for other people when we withhold forgiveness from others and yet we're preaching Christ or we're sharing Christ and we're walking out our faith, we're wanting to be salty, bright, and aromatic in our workspaces, but we're withholding forgiveness from others? Your gospel message is bankrupt. It's a farce. It's a joke. They called it right here hypocrisy. Man, put that back in perspective and go, wait a second, I got to connect to the first part of the story so I can walk out the second part of the story, and then I'm not walking in hypocrisy with those around me. And those around me can hopefully see the beauty and scandal of the first part of the story because of how we're moving with our $17,000 debt. Man, that changes everything. It reframes a lot of stuff. And hopefully it puts us in a place, maybe everybody in this room, that may have some of those situations where you're withholding forgiveness from somebody at school, whether you're withholding forgiveness or dragging your feet on forgiveness with a spouse, whether you're withholding forgiveness or dragging your feet on forgiveness with someone that's not in this room, and reframes all of it and says, man, I have to. It's who I am. And I want people to know the Lord that has forgiven me in the first part of this story. So I have to forgive the second part. Man, that changes everything. So his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have also had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. In other words, for eternity. He's not paying back $10 billion. So also my heavenly father will do to you, every one of you, if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. The final appeal in this parable is forgive your brother from your heart. Not just with your mouth. Not just with lip service, making nice and glad-handing. But from your heart, forgiving your brother. It's just who you are. This teaching was from the one the only one that can make this kind of forgiveness possible. This teaching came from the one who won the first part of the story for us by being nailed to the cross. Unlike a pardon, unlike a forgiven debt, in the case of our Lord, in the case of our sins, past, present, and future, the debt was actually paid in full. The debt was paid for us in our place. Man, that's why we should take this teaching especially, uh, consider this teaching especially important from our Lord on the Mount. I can't imagine a better thing to be praying about every single day to saturate us with this scandal of the gospel. Our debt was paid by this Lord, our Lord, in full. By the teacher of this passage on 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 prayer, the teacher is also the subject of the prayer and the one who won it for us. Let's pray. God, what a wonderful truth. What a wonderful reality and scandal that we walk in. Lord, I bring a personal prayer to you, I, along with a prayer on behalf of our people. Lord, if there are spaces in my heart and in my mind where I'm withholding forgiveness from another, uh, where I'm dragging my feet on forgiveness with another, that you would enable me to forgive fully and thoroughly from my heart. And Lord, I'm thankful in all of that that you make that possible as being a son and daughter of the high king of heaven for us to actually do that. Lord, I pray in that that the witnesses to that sort of forgiveness around us we'll see the greatness of the first part of the story. We'll see the resource that we walk in in having our sins, past, present, and future, paid for by the finished work and the person of Christ. Lord, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who trespass against us. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.